Welcome, Guardians. It's November 1st, 2015, and you're listening to Ghost Stories, a Destiny podcast. This is episode 5, and this week, we're going to take a look at the history and the lore behind the three main Guardian classes in Destiny. No, wait, we're not. Uh, today, we're just going to talk about Titans. We were going to touch all three of them, but uh, there's a lot there, so we're going to hopefully be able to squeeze in just the Titans today and, and get enough information here to... Uh, condensed down into uh, this show, but I'm sure there's a lot more that we aren't even going to touch on the Titans. But today, just Titans. We are a fire team of four today, and I am joined by Handsome Dragon. How's it going? It's going pretty good. Been uh, yeah. working on my trials tickets the last couple days. Ooh, Haven't been successful all the way yet, but... Uh, it's tough, man. They, yeah, the they, new... I think they did a good job. Yeah, that's what I've heard. And uh, we also have uh, Beta Chieftain. What have you been up to? You know, I'm terrible at trials. Just terrible. <laughs> so <laughs> I've been collecting masks. Uh, I'm excited. As, as the sole titan in the group, you know, I'm excited for today. <laughs> and then I guess just want to say uh, on Twitter, you guys can find me at Beta Chieftain. So if anyone wants to do terribly at trials with me or, you know, do something else, <laughs> I'm, I'm up for it. Well, I'm pretty terrible at it too, so uh, we can we can definitely <laughs> lose well together. Uh, and then finally, we've got uh, Drop Slash, and he's been busy the past few days. But what's have been, been going on? I, well, when I first started this show notes document, it did have all three classes in it, uh, and then and then Beta <laughs> snuck in there while I was moving over the weekend and changed it to only Titans. My my clan is almost all Titans, so when I mentioned that today. I got a raving endorsement from all of them. Awesome. Great, great. Uh, yeah. so, Actually, what about you? What have you been oh, up to? Oh, me? Oh, man. I've... Halloween. Halloween oh, was, yeah. was filled my, my weekend to the brim. Uh, the, the kids had a great time. The weather here was a little, little icky, but uh, we still were able to go out and trick-or-treat for a while and had family over and, and had, a, <clears> had a great time, so... That's what what I've been up to. Haven't hit trials yet. Was going to got stuck in a in a rough fire team last night trying to finish off Oryx and and uh, didn't weren't very successful. So I uh, left with a little salt <laughs> in my mouth. But uh, a little more trick than but, treat. But it's all right. Yeah, and we had a, we had a couple new guys, and so it was it was cool. We were we were kind of training and we were showing people the ropes. So that's take on fun. take on Oryx on Halloween. You got to kind of expect something like that. Yeah, he was he was pretty pissed. So, all right. So let's. Uh, we, you know, this week I think we're gonna we're gonna actually skip our question from the listeners. Uh, we had a few that actually are probably more suited for an entire show than just a quick little question. So <laughs> we will come back to those. We're saving these questions and, and we'll try to make sure and, and mention who they came from. But we do want to mention a few people who have been been pretty fun and active uh with us on twitter and our email so brutal wrath he's always hitting us up on twitter and emails asking us things and and giving us compliments and and i love it it's great we love to see the feedback and love to interact with everybody so brutal wrath thanks buddy we uh we appreciate all the feedback and all your comments it's terrific uh, and Beta had somebody, what was that? We had something from, uh, who was that? A Midnight Swing? Yeah, he wants to know why Sunbreakers are so OP. So, uh, <laughs> was, that, <laughs> so was that his weekly question? Is that right? Yeah, I think so. So we can hopefully answer that <laughs> today. 
<laughs> I have okay, an well, easy answer for that one's karma. <laughs> Hunters right, right. and warlocks have been ruling it for the last uh, last year, so this is just karma. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, I also want to give a shout to uh, Bluecur86 and his focused fire chat. Uh, he joined here. He joined. He invited uh, us over to their their lore channel or lore chat on band, and they actually started uh, running a little focused fire chat thing on Twitch, and just started up a, a Twitter channel as well, where they're doing something kind of similar to what we do, but it's more it's it's more <coughs> from a, a Twitch streaming perspective, and they're just getting started. So give them a give them a. Uh, look and and see what they're doing and give them some feedback so hopefully they can they can improve on what they're doing as well uh but have some great conversations going on over there so so good job guys and uh maybe we can we'll chat in the future have a little lore showdown or something (laughs) (laughs) so uh, a couple other things uh we talked about this during our our uh Festival of the Lost episode, our whisper from the end of last week uh we started up a a Teespring campaign just because we were talking and had this this grand idea to make these ugly sweaters and once we kind of decided let's let's just do it and see what happens Scooby Deezy just took it to another level he made these these awesome uh shirts that represent the Vex and uh the the Caber's fire team and They've got one. We've got one that that's got the uh, what's that? What's that saying from the from the vault? Drop. Do you remember that one? It's the about the needle. Times time splinters. No, no what is uh, that? And a needle runs through it. You're 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 making yeah, me quote yeah. like my of all the lore of all the lore <laughs> in the entire game. Yeah, Vex lore is is my weakest. Is your worst? Oh man. Well, can, can so there's, can there's can a Vex lore. <laughs> do it yeah i love to <laughs> there's a there's a vex lore and and the the fire team and then also us there's a ghost stories team shirt they're not much different besides some of the some of the wording on it but you know what if you're not going to to buy a shirt or don't want to buy a shirt go look at these things because they are amazing and you can find them over at teespring.com slash stores slash ghost dash stories uh we've got a link on on twitter and uh we'll put one in the show you know, twitter, in the show notes too We'll put it in the show notes, and you know, we, we've I've, we've kind of realized that Twitter is great <clears throat> to communicate with with people who use Twitter, uh, but with the amount of people who have been listening to the podcast compared to how many people follow us on Twitter, there's a lot of people I think that we're missing out on. So if you have any suggestions of a better way to keep in touch with us or to to just kind of get some some updates and info from us facebook or anything like that if we should if we should have a facebook account you know let us know tell us that you can email us at uh, uh destiny ghost stories at gmail.com and, and let us know the best way that that you feel would be for you to keep in touch with us or to to get uh to get information about what we're doing so we can we can definitely make some changes something else that happened this week is google announced uh through their through their uh google play music uh, store or piece that they're going to have podcast functionality coming soon. So we went ahead and submitted our podcast there and got approved. So as soon as they come up, you'll be able to find us on your Android devices there through their their new podcast function that they'll have. So I know that that some people say that Pocket Cast and a few other things work well, but they aren't real happy with them. 
And so hopefully it'll be uh, be as good or better than iTunes uh, for for the Android community. So so keep an eye out for that, and we'll definitely keep you updated. Um, we're also adding a new section here. What are we doing? We've got this new stuff that we're calling ignored lore. Yes, so, ignored uh, lore. Go ahead, Beta. It, it's the what, what it's the stuff you throw away. So um, <laughs> so you know we all go to the cryptarch. We all decode our engrams, and if they're not legendaries, we promptly dismantle them. So. We wanted to highlight some of the lore that you are throwing away when you when you get rid of those lowly blue engrams. So this week we have, and, and usually the blue stuff comes in a set, especially when it's armor. So we have what's called the chorus type one set. So that's a helmet, you know, chest, boots, arms, everything. Which class is this from? Because aren't there different? I believe this is Titan. So yeah, in, Titan, okay. to go with the episode, I picked a, tit- a Titan okay. set of armor. And so this one's interesting. So I'll read the quotes real quick, and then we can talk about it for a second. And I don't know if, if the quotes are really supposed to be in any particular <coughs> order. Usually will. But I'm just going to... I say, I, when I've looked through these before, I, I usually go in order from uh, helmet, gauntlets, chest, huh. feet, like going top to bottom. Okay, so I will read it in that order. So, and, re- and remember, so Pecorus Type 1, so starting with the helmet. I promise, my son, I will avenge you. Gauntlets, you cannot understand this pain. Chest, no father should have to bury their child. Greaves, boots. What happens to guardians when they die for the last time? So, there we have it. We have no clue who's talking. <laughs> we have no clue who he's talking about. But it's interesting because clearly here we have someone, a father, either the father was a, it seems like the father wasn't a guardian just by the way it reads to me, mm-hmm. but he, he clearly had to bury a son who was a guardian and he's now kind of wondering, you know, what is going to become of him. See, I felt this is a good tie in to what we talked about also on the uh, Festival of the Lost whisper where Tess talks about or there's those quotes from Tess about the loss that she kind of endured on her trip to the city so again mm-hmm. kind of shows you the hardships that, that everyone faced and losing people they loved or cared about yeah some of those so, uh, yeah, that's just- Ava Levante has a pretty sad story too if you stand around her long enough and she starts to talk about sort of her history and how she got to the tower and all the people she lost on the way there yet she seems to be the most upbeat about the whole thing <laughs> I mean, compared. Yeah. I mean, other than Eris. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's the Eris? What's the Eris quote? <laughs> yeah. uh, day of the lost is every day for me, except without the candy. <laughs> 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 Let it go, Eris. That's a good one. <laughs> so let's get let's get started with uh, with Titans, man. All right, so Titans, Titans, Titans. Um, where do we want to start here? probably just a little description of what they are in general and then i think we can break down into into the individual subclasses so we know that the titans um you know from their grimoire card they've been described as watchers on a wall um as warriors we often think of them you know as being first into the fight um they're steadfast you know they're sure and they will face any challenge head-on um, a good description is they they are blunt force in- instruments of the traveler's will. <laughs> yeah, I kind of imagine them as more a little more you know brawn than brain. Um, I'm not saying that they're stupid by any means. Like they like there's definitely a lot of texts that you know you see some very 
good comments for coming from a lot of these these titans but <laughs> well, their first well, instinct always seems to be fight rather than well a, a good <laughs> this reminds me of a quote that you brought up earlier handsome um, on the chat was with this whole <laughs> bronze and brain thing <laughs> is the titans were complaining about the void walkers and how the void walkers just you know disintegrate everything and how terrible they are and that Ikora Ray is like, what do they think happens when things run into their, you know, their wards of light, their defender bubbles? <laughs> like, don't, don't they realize that all the victims are just atomized? And Ikora <laughs> Ray was kind of just making fun of the Titans for not really thinking that through. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think she like, she ends it with, you know, Titans are funny sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and so, we also know that the, the Titans... Yeah, you know, first formed right around the start of the city, but they didn't really form what we know as the Titan Order, uh, really, until the Battle of Six Fronts, where they all sort of joined together uh, and were like, hey, we'll, we will take on the responsibility of the defense of the city for us. Uh, and that's where we get sort of these first orders of Titans rising up and you know, different teams of Titans uh, sectioning off and, and handling different things, not so much class-wise, but in terms of, like, orders, like the Pilgrim Guard uh, and some of the other more well-known uh, sort of orders and classes. And we know they live by sort of, like, a certain creed. Uh, they have tenants they sort of abide to, very sort of, like, honor-driven and respect-driven. So let's uh let's talk about uh let's start off with the sunbreakers the, the new guys. <laughs> let's start off with the sunbreakers the the people who are OP who we don't know who are even <laughs> at six fronts. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so so what do we know about the sunbreakers? So we know that um well, we can start off kind of how our guardian comes to hear about them. So the guardian that we play in the game if you're a titan um Commander Zavala basically gets a report or gets a message that the Sunbreakers were spotted on Venus, and he sends us out to go find them. And this is interesting because, in the words of Commander Zavala, he has not heard from the Sunbreakers in years. Um, so he's he's very surprised to see them out and about, and he he describes them as an ancient order of titans. Um, and I want to read here so all the classes when they go on their you know, their new subclass mission, there's those intro videos. I want to read Commander Zavala's intro video, his text, um, for the Sunbreaker, because there's a lot of good stuff in there. So, <clears throat> to read, he says, What does it mean to be a Titan? As a Titan, you are part of the city, in a way no warlock or hunter could understand. The dream of the city rests upon our shoulders. Then, there are those that find a path outside our walls. Those that take up with leaders they barely understand. So it has ever been with the Sunbreakers. The hammer of soul is aflame in the darkness, but fire burns without thought. It is time that fire came home to keep the city and her walls warm throughout the long night. Um, so this is me, and this is speculation, but it sounds a lot like Zavala's kind of miffed there about the Sunbreakers, because he says things like taking up with leaders they barely understand, or... The hammer of soul is a flame in the darkness, but fire burns without thought. So it seems like he's telling us about these sunbreakers, but he's not necessarily the fondest of them. At least that's what I'm getting mm-hmm. from that. 
Seems like he knows they're OP, too, because uh, <laughs> you don't even have to be able to think to be able to throw a hammer. <laughs> well, I mean, we know that Zavala, along with Saladin and Shax, were there at six fronts. They were part of that original forming of the Titan Order, so my guess is that Zavala takes the defense of the city very, very seriously, uh, and the Titan's responsibility to do that very, very seriously. So you have, you have some breakers so, jumping around, throwing hammers at things, and lighting the world on fire. You know that's 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 a that's what hunters do. <laughs> you know, get 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 <laughs> back to the city and make sure the walls stay standing. That's what titans do. So, but the but the sunbreakers are they if they're <clears throat> not around, are they a part of the city? You know what? A, well. I mean, I, it's tough to say. Uh, my, fir- I mean, personally, my instinct would be say no. Uh, there is a quest called March of Fire, uh, and in it, it calls the Sunbreakers a mercenary clan of titans. So my guess is that they probably they're not tied to the city very deeply. I mean, we've never seen them before. Now, uh, I mean, we don't know the the particular alignments of a lot of the characters we see, but it seems like the Sunbreakers mm-hmm. sort of uh, broke off. And really, I mean, they're, if they really are mercenaries, the way this is described, then, yeah, they're, they'll work for the highest bidder, which seems strange for Titans. But, you know, maybe that's why Savala doesn't like them very much. <laughs> right. Yeah, there was something mentioned about uh, Osiris brokering a contract with them, right? Yeah, so when we find the Sunbreakers, after we investigate them on Venus, we basically track them back to Mercury, which of course we all know Mercury is very synonymous with Osiris. Um, And so Zavala tells us that Osiris brokered a contract between the Sunbreakers and the city. And then he says its terms were unacceptable. And so we we don't know what that deal was. Um, I don't know if you guys have any ideas what the terms may have been, but we know that because of that deal going sour, um, the Sunbreakers very much hate the Vanguard, and they very much hate Zavala. <laughs> There's a lot of people that hate Zavala. It sounds uh, like I don't know about hate. Uh, Zavala's a weird guy. You know, it's funny too because I've always yeah. thought, as I run through missions, man, Zavala is ruthless. He is he is so shoot first, ask questions later. Like that is again, even thinking about oh yeah, no Titans are like the stalwart defense of the city. You know, and Zavala is just like he has some of the best quotes. Like my favorite one, I think, is from the beginning of uh, "The Enemy of My Enemy" on the Dreadnought, where Ghost says, "Oh, there's survivors still fighting," and Zavala says, "Survival is a temporary condition." <laughs> and I was, <laughs> the guy's ruthless, stone yeah. cold. I wonder, yeah. if he's, I wonder if he's part yeah. of the Stoneborn Order of Titans. So do we think in in that intro video where he says, you know, there are those that find a path outside our walls, those that take up with leaders they barely understand, do you think that might be a reference to the Sunbreakers kind of following Osiris and then kind of taking refuge with him? You know, a lot of people didn't understand Osiris. I absolutely do. Yeah, Yeah. that's good. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I think. I mean, and also, I have to imagine at this point, to inhabit Mercury like Osiris has has got to be incredibly difficult unless the Vex presence is is gone. We don't know because we can't visit Mercury uh, in the story. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's even it's still got to be an incredibly hostile environment. 
So if you had an order of Titans or a, a group of Titans break off and follow Osiris, I'm sure one of the things they learned were like how to thrive on Mercury. So it seems like that that right. knowledge, that knowledge of how to to sort of like sit tight and and have a camp an encampment on those Caloris spires and Mercury, you you would need to know Osiris or have run across him. So so we go to Mercury then. Um as a as a titan to uh to find the sunbreakers what what happens when we get there so we actually were contacted basically right when we land we're contacted by someone named oros i believe is how it's pronounced and she introduces herself as the third imperial magistrate of the sunbreakers and so in other words other ways to say that would be the third judge from heaven or the third heavenly judge so She's definitely holds high ranks um, among the Sunbreakers. And what's interesting is our ghost's response. So right after Oros contacts us, our ghost, he's kind of amazed. He actually refers to her as ma'am. Like he, the ghost has some respect for her. And so he tells us that Oros is a legend, apparently. Um, he says that even if half the stories are true, she's one of the most powerful titans alive today. Um. And so, and then that just got me thinking, you know, if she's the third magistrate and magistrates generally deal with kind of minor offenses, and if she's like the third down, you know, how powerful then are the Titans or whatever other guardians above her, mm-hmm. you know, we drop, you've talked about Osiris many times as possibly just, you know, always being in radiance mode. Yes. I, and it's like, if, if she's the most powerful Titan alive and she's third down, I can imagine Osiris being on the top, you know, just being in full radiance all the time. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> like, if he's setting up at the top there as sort of like a judge, you know, which makes sense, you know, as Osiris, like the mythology outside the game surrounding that particular uh, mythological creature. I mean, yeah, that it makes total sense. Like, you got... Os- and we know that, you know, Osiris does delegate a lot of responsibilities down to people. He doesn't always make, you know, in-person appearances. So it would not surprise right. me if he has like an order of magistrates below him and one of them happens to be like a incredibly OP hammer-throwing titan. <laughs> <laughs> and and I actually and you know, so talking about Oros, it was interesting to me too because like, this is another instance of our ghost describing a titan that's legendary that we've never heard of. Yes. <laughs> and but, but I I think this time I might have figured out this is speculation, but I might have figured out why we've never heard of her. Um, so I did you know a little bit of digging, and our ghost during these Sunbreaker missions, our ghost says that he's been combing the tower records since we basically first encountered the Sunbreakers on Venus, and that the Sunbreakers have been effectively removed from the history of the city. Um, and, and he comments that it's strange to see such an important group just gone. Um, Zavala. And yeah, and, and you immediately have to ask, like, well, wait a minute. Um, and then it just goes into, you know, was Zavala lying? Because Zavala said the light of the Sunbreakers has never been seen within the walls of the city. Um, and what's more interesting that I found, just through some digging, is you'll recall... Those of you that are Titans will recall that the speaker um, sold, used to sell Th- Thalor's Golden Maul, which was a Titan mark. And what's interesting is the word Maul, you know, is Latin basically for hammer. So, so it, 
it's saying, you know, the the item is basically called Thalor's Golden Hammer, which sounds a lot like <laughs> Hammer of Soul to me. And this mm-hmm. is speculation, but to me it sounds like there possibly there possibly was a Titan in the Crucible who was a Sunbreaker. Um, well, let me because we back up a we second know Thalor, to uh, Oros. Yeah. The word Oros means golden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's and nice. and the descriptions of Thalor, it actually says that he was invincible in the Crucible, <laughs> and and as we all know, with the Sunbreakers being as they are today, you are essentially invincible in the Crucible. But so it's just so interesting to me because I don't know what do you guys think? Like, is Zavala just outright lying? Well, because it would seem like maybe he is. Well, Zavala also has a quote about saying that he's not heard from the Sunbreakers uh, in years. Uh, so, I mean, he, he's obviously aware of their existence. As for their appearance within the walls, it, I, would, I, wouldn't, I would chalk up to Zavala lying or Zavala having to maintain some sort of edict. Like, if we're going back here, and again, we're, we're like straddling the speculation line. But we know that Osiris had a falling out with the speaker. And there's no way that Zavala himself could erase the Sunbreakers from all of the history of the tower, but the speaker probably could. So if Osiris left uh, and the speaker was really miffed about that and the Sunbreakers followed Osiris, uh, it would not surprise me if the speaker put like a moratorium on any mention of Sunbreakers at all. And then Zavala sort of as the vanguard would have to uphold that a little bit. He couldn't break that rule probably so casually. And then the speaker, he probably grew sentimental a bit, and that's why he was selling the Titan Mark. <laughs> or he felt bad. The speaker can't be trusted and doesn't know what he's doing at all. So, <laughs> so yeah. So, so we can move on. But I just thought that was a very, an interesting little bit of speculation to point out that there might actually be other Sunbreakers that we know of um, with that lore. Well, there's also, I mean, there's also a huge technicality here, which is the light of the Sunbreakers has never been seen within the walls. Maybe they just fought on the outside of the walls the whole time and never actually right, came I, inside. I was thinking too. Yeah, I get, I just thought, you know, most and Bannerfall, we can kind of count inside the walls, but basically <laughs> there are no crucible maps technically inside the walls. Yeah. So maybe, maybe no one's lying per se. <laughs> So, uh, so to get to get uh, to get this this sunbreaker ability when we go there, uh, Oris tells us we have to use the forge, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. There's basically there's a forge just sitting there on uh, on Mercury that we we go into, we get charged up, you know, and we pull out a hammer of soul, and so at that point we basically uh, we achieve the sunbreaker. Um, what is interesting too is on the Grimmer card for the Sunbreaker, it talks about that the Sunbreakers are bound by an oath, and I wasn't sure if you guys had any ideas on what that might actually mean when it says the Sunbreakers are bound by an oath. Well, I mean, it seems like almost all Titans are bound by an oath. So you know whether the Sunbreakers one is to just whatever go with like the world on fire with flaming hammers or it's something else <laughs> again and again if they're tied to osiris i'm sure osiris has some like crazy edicts about the battles with the darkness and what you have to uphold in order to be like on his team quote unquote and things like that so it seems like all all yeah, titans true. take their oaths 
incredibly seriously, regardless of what the oath itself actually is. Right, and because and Zavala kind of warns us about the oath of the Sunbreakers. But yeah, maybe it's not that no one else has oaths, just that because they're kind of tied with Osiris, you just need to be sure that you want to start dealing with them. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So, uh, anything else on Sunbreakers? Not that I can think of. Maybe not, I, I not guess the, the reason they're OP is because. They are servants of Osiris, and that's just how it is. <laughs> so, well, I don't, I don't know that they're servants. If they really are mercenaries, they could just be. Maybe True. their values could just be aligned a bit with Osiris, and they, you know, and they maybe they needed a home, and Mercury seems like an appropriate place. I'm sure you you can't just like put that forge in a house somewhere and leave it without burning your city down. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, so, the Sunbreaker right. Forge is in my garage. <laughs> <laughs> all right next next class subclass um all right so uh let's talk about uh let's talk about the strikers yeah. i guess so uh go ahead well go ahead Drew. You said, yeah. well i mean Start i think everybody in this game whoever started as a titan or played a titan sort of fell in love with striker and i don't think there's whether whether Striker has fallen a bit to the side of Sunbreaker right now, like with things in the Crucible, I don't think anybody ever forgets being a Striker Titan because they have so many just like satisfying abilities. <clears throat> uh, but yeah, it seems like Striker again in the lore came second to Defender. Very much seems like Defender was the original sort of Titan motif, <clears throat> and then how Strikers arose. I don't know if we have a particular date in history about that, but, it, you know, to turn that defensive strength into an offensive strength, sort of like offense is the best defense. Uh, we know they've been popular in the Crucible for a long time, and we know that Lord Shax himself is a striker, which is terrifying. <laughs> uh, and there's a quote by Ikora Ray, uh, where she says, uh, Shaq seems not to have a preference for a specific firearm. In his days as a competitor, he would finish fights with his hands whenever he could. He was the idol of every striker. Uh, and to me, that is terrifying. I can't imagine being shoulder tackled by Shaq. He'd probably get launched into orbit. But we do know quite a bit about Shaq's. Uh, he became really famous during the Battle of Twilight Gap, uh, which was when the the Fallen sort of got together, minus the House of Wolves, which we know from the House of Wolves story. They got waylaid by the Queen of the Reef. Uh, all The Fallen all sort of like put their differences aside and decided that they were going to attack the city. And at this time, uh, Lord Saladin, who we know from Iron Banner, after sort of his alignment with the Iron Lords uh, from the Battle of Six Fronts, he was the vanguard leader. He was a vanguard commander. And Shax and Zavala were sort of his his students, like his, uh, he was grooming them to be the next great titans. Like <clears throat> and, uh, and during Twilight Gap, the the guardians were winning and saladin said all right let's let's shore up let's back up a little bit let's make sure the city's secure uh and shack said no we got him on the run like let's let's take him out once and for all while we can and he, he direct, basically disobeyed a direct order from saladin and led uh, a team of titans and guardians to to counterattack the fallen to straight take the fight to them and it was incredibly successful uh 
and this is a key part of sort of the city age uh, for both for Titans and for all Guardians, where they you know stopped playing defensively. We played heavily defensively at six fronts, and now Shaq's sort of sick of it. Shaq said, "Let's go on the attack," uh, and he disobeyed a direct order, and it was awesome. And Shaq became a hero for doing this. He he. We don't know whether this counterattack, quote unquote, saved the city, but we know that it was incredibly successful and it started to cast a little bit of doubt on Saladin's ability to lead the vanguard. Uh, and it created a rift between Saladin and Shax that they, they still haven't recovered from to this day. With Zavala sort of being here in the middle, it would not surprise me if Zavala played, you know, a bit of a. a a more balanced ground here, although we know he is a bloodthirsty maniac. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it's interesting that- because um, even in the marks of the six fronts, there's some of the marks that describe you know a number of titans who wanted to attack. It doesn't say if they were shacks or anything, you know, but it's just interesting that it, that kind of underlying feeling of wanting to attack instead of defend, you know, went back to six fronts. But yeah, it seems to kind of have hit a head here at the Battle of Twilight Gap. The way you describe that, it just, just think, you know, picturing it kind of in my mind's eye or whatever. Uh, I, I just picture the, the Titans kind of all, like you said, kind of falling back and, and ready to be on the defense with their Titan bubbles and all these defender Titans, like <laughs> just kind of, kind of watching the city. And then, uh, and then Shaq's just, just, boom just comes out with these fists blazing and, and just like no we're going and just like almost feel like that could have been where where a striker might have been yeah. born you know so to speak i and it wasn't but it but it just feels like he just right i mean there there's almost no references to strikers before that and and that's why i wonder you know if if Shax was one of the first strikers maybe he was that one guy at six fronts who was just mad about not attacking yeah i mean <laughs> you wanted to sh- I, I, show off his ability i could totally imagine like the the fallen starting to retreat and saladin calling the like the defensive order and Shaq just like grabbing a city banner and being like no way and just like charging although at the same mm-hmm. time you know if you have shacks and you're imagine just like the you have the wall and it's surrounded in defender bubbles you have shacks running through weapons of light blessing of light weapons of light <laughs> blessing of light and any striker would be thrilled to have that kind of offensive advantage oh, yeah. and i'm sure shacks i mean we all know super. how passionate shacks gets when he's calling crucible matches uh if he's out there sort of like screaming for the charge i'm sure other titans are going to be like you know what man this guy's right like let's let's follow this guy Right. And, and what's interesting is that, you know, the aftermath of that, we know now that it's hard to get any of them to sit at the same table. Yeah. Um, Zavala, Zavala and Shax seem to be on, I don't know, maybe, maybe not friend status, but they're on a working relationship. Saladin and Shax do not get along at all anymore. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's an interesting quote from Shax where he says, you either learn to work with other guardians or you perish. Twilight Gap taught me that. So basically... <laughs> Even there, he's saying, you know, like, I suck it up sometimes because we have to, but <laughs> yeah, but I don't like it. Man, that just gave me chills. <laughs> just the whole the whole thing. Just thinking about the way that he just went on the offensive, and, man. That's, and, that's, that's so and cool. What's interesting, too, I guess what I want to point out is, you know, he was a striker who liked going on the offensive, but he wasn't dumb. Um, we know he had a run-in with Zavala a little later yes. over the battle of... Uh, 
Mayor Imbrium, the disaster on the moon. Mayor Imbrium. Right, because so this is from the the Ray's Lighter mm-hmm. um, Grimmer card, and basically, let me see here. So so quoting. So this Shax is starting out here. He says, "What madness is this, Lord Shax? The consensus did not. We barely eked out a victory at Burning Lake, and now you think we're ready to attack the moon." We're preparing. Did you not read my report from Burning Lake about the hive's weapons? Those swords, they're like nothing we've ever. Lord Shax, Zavala, you can't think this is wise. We need to examine these swords, train against them. That is a matter for the consensus to decide, old friend. So, I mean, even there, it seems that uh, there is definitely a disagreement between Shax and Zavala on the wisdom of the attack on the moon. Well, what's interesting is at this point, we don't know when Saladin handed the Vanguard Titan lead over to Zavala. So this mm-hmm. this Razelighter Grimoire card is interesting because this could be Shax, you know, sort of barging in on this meeting uh, and addressing not only the consensus, but trying to turn Zavala to his side with Zavala as a Vanguard commander. Or this could be Shax breaking in on the consensus, you know, expressing his opinion here, looking for support from Zavala, and Zavala doesn't want to ruffle too many feathers because Saladin is still Vanguard Titan, and Zavala's being groomed for Vanguard Titan, so he couldn't just agree with Shax, knowing Shax and Saladin's mm-hmm. history at this point. And, right. Zavala. And, and the tragic thing, of course, is you'll remember from our... our uh, or episode on the moon and Ariana's fire team is the the attack on the moon claimed the life of another one of our famous striker titans, yeah. and th- and that was Wei Ning. And I think she, I think we discussed this a little bit uh, during that episode. This episode three, I believe, Wei Ning is just sort of like the striker ideal. Like if Titan's a powerhouse, I mean, if Shax is a a powerhouse in what he does, Wei Ning was just like the all around ultimate. <laughs> Sort of like mm-hmm. Uber Uber Titan. <laughs> she has some great quotes for sure. Yeah. Especially right. You, I know. I know you love Crucible. Handsome. Is there? <laughs> is there a good cruci- a good Crucible quote from Waning? Um, I was actually there is actually one. Yeah, let me get it right here. This is uh, she says, huh, nothing like that moment when you bring the fist down. Sometimes in the Crucible. I like to have my helmet cam running. That way, when I I can go back and see the whites of their eyes just before everything goes zap. <laughs> <laughs> helmet cam. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so what other? So besides Wei Ning, do we know uh, who are some of the some of the other uh, strikers? One we know of is Holborn. Um, so he was he's described as the city's hand on Mars. Um, so and he and he runs something called a host. I don't know if you guys know how many people are. Obviously, a fire team is six. Um, I'm not quite sure how many are in a in a host. But uh, so <laughs> I don't know if you guys know. Not that top of my head. <laughs> no, no, I don't. <laughs> so not quite a fire team. But oh um, well, here we go. So there's another host that we know of because there's a current there's a titan mystery in the background which is uh joggy j-a-g-i joggy's host and there's a line in the ghost fragments titan card that says uh 
The time ghosts from Jaggy's host came back without them. Remember, they got in that fight at some point far east of the Caspians. Seven ghosts, damn near silent, buzzing with some sort of corruption, drifting back to the tower one by one. Scared the speaker well enough. So if all of Jaggy's host disappeared and seven ghosts came back, a, coast, a host could be seven titans. Okay, there we go. Cool. So, so yeah, so Holborn's host, which is probably seven guys, they... They're they're kind of like a Titan reconnaissance slash strike team. They uh, they they operate on Mars. We know that along with the Red Jack Fire Team, which is Lord Shack's kind of special forces, they uh, they discovered the Chorus fleet base on Phobos. And we also know that Holborn was was looking for the War Mind of Mars and the one who guards it. So I imagine speaking about. Uh, Charlemagne and Rasputin there. So, have we heard anything? Is there? Any, is this like a like a current objective? Uh, was Holborn? Is that kind of a a past? You know, an older Titan that we don't really know much about now, or is, is his host still out there searching? As far as we know, I think as far as we know, he's still alive. Um, there's no there's no lore that I'm privy to that outright says he's passed away. So I think it's it's more recent. I believe it's post Twilight Gap. So Yeah, also. I mean we get we get mentions of some things. Uh you know, and just because it's recent to us doesn't mean that it's necessarily recent in the lore like uh, the fleet based chorus on Phobos, right. uh the moons of Mars. Uh they were discovered by Holborn's host. So there's things like that we know. Uh, there's a quote by Holborn that says Thuria might be clear, but it's not. Uh, but it's not the problem. Chorus could become. So whether that's a recent quote about what's happening on the moons of Mars or sort of a later thing, uh, we're not necessarily sure. Uh, but we do know that Holborn was considered uh, genial. Genial. And there's a a mark called Holborn's host mark. It just says, genial old Holborn led a group of guardians on several risky expeditions to Mars. Uh, but whether or not he's still around, it's we don't really know. So we've got, uh, so Holborn was one of our other strikers, and we've got a, another big, big name worth mentioning, uh, Kaber, right? Kabir. 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 Yeah, so we we can give him a better treatment when we do a Vex episode, but um he he has an interesting perspective on being a striker. So he says what the city wants us to do, what we want to do, it doesn't make any damn sense. That phrase tip of the spear sounds good in speeches, but you know what happens to spear tips? They break. But that's what it takes. If the choice is between you or the wall, you break. So he, I mean, he, you can tell that he said, you know, he feels a sense of duty, and that he'll do what he's told. But you can also, you kind of get this sense that he's not necessarily pleased with being the spear tip. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that could explain why, you know, he kind of took his fire team of three into the vault of glass, and maybe with orders or without orders, you know, maybe he kind of just got tired of doing what the city wanted and wanted to go do his own thing. Well, yeah, I mean, well, again, I feel like any Titan who has left the walls of the city to sort of explore or study outside uh, 
they're they're always of a different mindset. Uh, and even part of this comes from Osiris, because there's a mention by the speaker in the Osiris card about how Osiris inspired uh, other guardians to explore beyond the city and beyond the world, to not make the city their first priority. And that's got to be sort of like doubly contentious for Titans. So the, the fact that he not only, you know, was he having second thoughts about operating defensively but then to go explore like all this crazy vex stuff like uh that is that's not what titans do hunters explore outside the walls titans make sure the walls stay standing nice so all right uh i think that brings us to kind of the the last of our our before we defenders or or strikers before we jump into defenders i gotta i can't I can't let this go without some more great waning quotes. Because uh, I think they, they define the Striker Titan so well. And you can find a lot of these. Uh, there's all kinds of gear in the game that has quotes by her. Uh, but some of my favorite ones come from the Spearhead gear. Uh, and there's some here that are the best, uh, including the uh, Pujari Way Ratio which is a colloquial term, which is, quote, the amount of time warlocks spend planning battles versus the time titans spend winning them. <laughs> yeah, I like the, uh, the chest piece as well. This, this isn't actually a waning quote. It's, uh, it's in reference to her, but it says, uh, you know, it says Guardian showing off some battle wounds, it sounds like. It says, this burns from a slug rifle. That one's a shock blade. This one? Ah, yes. Waning gave me a hug. <laughs> <laughs> Ow. And then I'll, I'll call out the uh, Molnia Type Zero just because I wore those gauntlets for a really, really long time. And I think this is probably her most famous quote. Which is, uh, so I ask Wei Ning, what about the darkness itself? What then? And she says, I'll punch it too. <laughs> yeah, <Strikers>. exactly. <laughs> that defines them right there. So if, if she was, it, it can get punched. I will punch it. She's a great, a great example uh, of sort of just this, like amazingly front-facing, take no guff. Like this is the strikers that led the charge, and we know we also know her death. You know, her death arguably is what caused the whole first Crota fire team thing to happen. We might not have an heiress as we know her now without Wei Ning. We'd have a happier heiress, <laughs> possibly. <laughs> we might have. We might still have a. We, may, we, we wouldn't have a Toland. We'd have a, well, we'd That's still have a Toland. Sure. We might have a happier Iran, Ariana three, though. True. Yeah, but would Toland? Would he uh, have knowledge of the Death Song? If it wasn't for that fire team helping him get down. You're you're going to go down a rabbit hole if you get me stark talking about no, what Toland's intentions were. <laughs> okay, so, so defenders. defenders. Let's talk. Yeah. Let's talk defenders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to have an entire episode of uh, how deep can we get. So, all right, Defenders, um, the wall against which darkness breaks. Um, so when did, uh, when did we, we, when did the Defenders kind of, of come into their own, so to speak? Uh, was it, at, was it at Twilight Gap? Yeah, this may go back further that? than that. Well, this is, the, six, this is six Fronts, the very first major battle of the city. So we get that right off, right off the defender's mark, which was at six fronts. Defending the wall was not enough. Titans had to become the wall. 
So this is this is where we first see the rise. I think the the rise of the Titan Order as we know them. So and we get there's other quotes here too, especially quotes by Zavala. Uh, you know the wall. It keeps the dream of the city intact. On the battlefield, the defender is the wall, and her allies stand behind her. Right, and we've got and we know um, from the mark of the six fronts that there were four Titan Orders who held six approaches that day, or days, but during that great battle. So uh, so uh, they're probably, yeah, it doesn't outright say that they were defenders, but I can imagine very much that it was basically, as we've described, bubbles just all around the city. <laughs> Bubble, bubbles everywhere yeah. to protect the city. Yeah, I think this is interesting because you, you see this a lot with, um, I saw this when I was researching the Warlocks a little a lot, um, but just as we will debate classes and which one's better this is better they did it at the tower too and uh there's one the the mark of the lost charge where it says uh, a zealous few sneer at the legend of six fronts our invincible defense was a waste they say we should have charged and so you know that you get the sense of you know there's strikers you know like we should have just fought we should have done this and you know, you know the titans and the warlocks they go back and forth on who was better what's best and so i think it's kind of interesting that you know, they share some of the same debates that we we have as as players of the game as well yeah within the same class they debate which is the best subclass obviously Mm -hmm. so that's uh yeah that's cool yeah zavala do we want to let's want to hit a couple more of these quotes just because they're they're so good yeah (laughs) yeah um i'll do i'll do one let me do one from zavala this is this is neat it uh when people of the city think of a titan they think of a defender as the walls hold back the darkness the defender holds up the light and that, and that, there's not much. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say there's, there's. I mean, it. There's not much to say to that, really. I mean, it just it, the defenders are, are are just there, keeping the 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 city safe and and keeping the the light safe and and in their kind of corner, so to speak. Right, and mm-hmm. and that's a good quote because, I and mean, we often. When it says, you know, people of the city, sometimes we like to think of us, you know, from the tower. But if you think about the actual people down in the city, um, mm-hmm. they are the ones, you know, who are refugees who all came to the city. And this is where one of the Titan orders called the Pilgrim Guard come in. And it's interesting that, you know, if the people of the city think Titan, they think Defender. You know, maybe that's because the Pilgrim Guard, when they were defending them on the road to the city, you know, maybe they were Defenders. This is right. it's speculation. We don't know that outright, but <clears throat> what we do know is one defender um, was named Veltarlo, and so again, you might remember him from the failed fire team on mm-hmm. Crota. But um, and the reason I say he was a defender is because we have the artifact uh, Veltarlo's vigil, and the second column, the second uh, yeah, second column, second tier perk on that is Void Catalyst, and the reason that's interesting is because on the artifacts, if you look at them, that second column perk can't be changed. It can't re-roll. It's always what it is. So like Wei Ning, her artifact, it's Arc Catalyst, and we know she was a striker. So the fact that Veltarlo's is a Void ability seems like he was a defender. So you know, so you can imagine um, this Pilgrim Guard, which Veltarlo was a member of and a lot of other Titans, you know, escorting these people back to the city, um, but, you know, kind of as defenders. Well, and 
And it's a couple of interesting things here. Well, one, if you, you know, we know historically that the hunters searched for, you know, refugees and folks like that. But if maybe if you were in a pilgrim line, like you're marching towards the city, maybe you have one or two hunters who found you out in the wilds and they're escorting you back and you get attacked on the road and you have to start to run. What's the first thing that you would want to see in front of you as you approach the city? Man, I would want to see a blessings of light bubble <laughs> like that. That mm-hmm. <laughs> the same thing. If you were a hunter and you're trying to escort all these people back and you're being chased and fired upon, there would be no sweeter sight than defender titans ready to just sort of like help you make that that last you know stretch into the city. Yeah, yeah that's and, a good point. When we when we start talking about well, yeah, when we start talking about how the the city was defended and you know Saladin. Um, was was there uh, at least he was in, he was at both right the battle of six fronts yes he was the vanguard yeah. commander yeah and so with his strategies I guess do we just make the assumption that he's a defender because we didn't necessarily say he was a striker earlier um, but but we didn't point him out as a defender either so is he is that what he is based on his kind of of war strategies I mean he certainly seems to live up that sort of ideal. Uh, also, you know, as the van, if they're, I don't, we'd have to look at the timeline off the top of my head. I'm not necessarily sure the vanguard are formed by this point. Uh, but, you know, as, as the person in charge, the Titan in charge there, you know, as these Titan orders formed up to defend the city, uh, if you're in charge of all those, like all those Titans and, you know, you, you very well could be like, hit Saladin's mindset seems very much like the defender mindset. Like he takes that or he used to take that uh, responsibility very seriously. So there's a lot of evidence that points to uh, Saladin very much being not only being a defender himself, but, but encouraging the defender mindset on all other Titans. Right. He has, he has a quote that, you know, talks about the ward of Dawn itself he says the ward of dawn has helped defenders through death and the darkness so others wouldn't have to learn to deploy yours well and it'll always bring you home so there you know he's he's speaking directly to to defenders and i guess while we're talking about kind of speculating what saladin was really quick do we know what zavala was zavala in terms of quotes he kind of appears talking about strikers talking about defenders he kind of you know if shax is strictly a striker and uh, Saladin maybe seems to be much more defense-minded. Did Zavala bridge the gap? Is that maybe why he's Titan Vanguard now? Man, I don't know. He's got like that that crazy, <clears throat> crazy-eyed bloodthirst like a striker gets. <laughs> but he's he's also like super all about defending the city. So I don't know. He's it's mm. tough. It's a tough call for for Zavala. Yeah. Maybe we'll maybe we'll find out more in the future. Yeah, and he should he should be around. I find it interesting here too, you know, as like off from the gameplay side of it, where when you start your Titan character, you're a striker first, but then it seems like there's a lot more history in things about the Defender Titan. Like that seems to have a bigger grasp on the the lore side. But I mean, I'm sure it had to do with you know playing the strikers fun in the Crucible. There's not few things as satisfying as just finding a mob of enemies and landing your fist of havoc <laughs> right in the middle of them. So I'm sure that had to do with it, but I think that was kind of 
kind of interesting on my my point of view. Well, it's also, and this goes back to a little bit back to Veltarlo. Like, there's a great quote on the market, the hidden. It says so, and with the lone strength of the Titan Veltarlo, we felt invincible. And I think anybody who plays the game, when you're going out on a raid, uh, or you're going out to run strikes, or you're doing Prison of Elders, or whatever. Man, every time I know I have a Defender Titan with me, yeah, I feel invincible. Like, mm-hmm. they they bring that, that's what they bring to the party. It's just this amazing sense that, you know, when things go south or things get crazy, that bubble's going to go up and you got, you have your time to sort of, like, rethink, strategize, reload, you know, do what you need to do. Like, I, exactly. I love having Defender Titans around. Uh, and I think that also, you know, to the point of starting as a striker first, <clears throat> where I think there's a bit more of an, and I'm gonna, I'm sure I'm gonna get shoulder charged every single time I log <laughs> on for saying this. There's more of an art to playing a defender. Like being an effectively Absolutely. defensive character takes a lot of skill and a lot of patience and and a lot of sort of like uh, there's an art to it. And when you do it well, you you pretty much are invincible. So. Uh, I think getting I think getting I players think, familiar with Titans first and then giving them like the very sort of like deep defensive class second was a good choice. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good, <clears throat> again, kind of argument to why Saladin was such a good leader and, and why he probably or, or very likely to be is very likely to be a defender is because of that. You know, that's that's what you want when you're defending a city. You're not. You're not going on the offensive like Shaxx did. You're you're mm-hmm. taking care of of home first and being invincible and and knowing how to play to your strengths yeah, which, which as a kind defender of, is is what what was needed at the time. Yeah, that's what kind of has me questioning the you know who was actually in the leader leader during the Mar uh, Embryum attack because that definitely didn't doesn't sound like something Saladin would have been behind that was a full-out attack right. on the moon it wasn't you know he had shacks warning him against it we know tolan warned him against it <laughs> yeah and when so we know when shacks <laughs> is warning you to maybe not be so super offensive there there's exactly. probably something wrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah well you never i mean you never know who is who is pulling the strings yeah, exactly. so mm-hmm. true. you know and and again as a titan if if your boss if you're you're higher up say go do this you don't question it usually um, mm-hmm. not like not like Shaxx did to Saladin you just, you just follow orders so to speak and uh, so that could have very very well been what Saladin was doing so <coughs> um, alright uh, well so there's a, there's there's some more there's well we better mention this striker or we defender. might get uh, we might lose or defender sorry <laughs> we might <laughs> we might lose a lot of listeners if we don't um Saint fourteen, yeah. right? Here we go. <laughs> that's that's the here. yeah. This this is probably a whole episode in Seriously. in and of itself. But uh, let's let's uh, let's let's jump into it. Saint fourteen, go. What can I say? This he, <laughs> so he's yeah. an XO, right? He is, he's an XO, he's the, XO he's the defender. Right, you're you're probably familiar with him from the famous defender helmet, the helm of Saint fourteen, <laughs> the, which takes which takes bubbles to that next level. The helm of why would I wear anything else? Never, yeah. Right. So, I mean, in terms of what we know about him, um, we know he participated in the Battle of Six Fronts. And and a notable thing from that battle 
is that he after the Battle of Six Fronts, Saint-14 recommended to the Speaker that Osiris be made Vanguard Commander. Um, so we learned a couple of things there. One, Osiris was at the Battle of Six Fronts and clearly doing good things. Um, we also learned that obviously um, the Speaker respected Saint-14's opinion, and Saint-14 clearly had a respect for Osiris. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we'll point out this, this isn't in fact the Osiris Warlock episode. We are doing that later, but Osiris does seem to come up a lot with Titans. <laughs> it would seem. <laughs> I think every episode he's probably been mentioned at least once. Right. He's just always there in the background. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's inter- This is interesting here. Uh, there is a Titan artifact called St. 14's ring. And the quote on the ring is, was there ever another guardian so beloved by the people. Uh, And when you read it, you're like, oh man, Saint-14, probably super popular with with everybody. You know, it it seems like he would be that kind of guy. Uh, He's a saint. Well, true. But then if you read the the thing, this is somebody (laughs) named Payin saying this to Saint-14. So it's probably not a, you wouldn't refer to to Saint-14 in that way, uh, it seems like this is talking about quite possibly Osiris at this point. So there's connections between Saint-14 and Osiris that go all the way back, sort of to six fronts. Uh, We don't know how close they were, but those connections are definitely there. And personally, I'm excited to see what happens uh, between that. So Yeah, I think that's actually going to be a... I think there's going to be a lot of information to get on that in the in future uh, lore drops and story as the story unfolds, I think they're going to get some uh, some big uh, big revelations from Saint fourteen and Osiris. Right? And who knows? It might even be Saint fifteen at this point. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> and and so and he's so he's famous. Also, you know, he's kind of a legend in his own right for a number of reasons. <laughs> one one of those reasons is because of this vigil that he held. We learn about it from something called the Cloak of the Sky Pillar, which is a it's a hunter cloak, and it says some suggest Saint Fourteen's legendary vigil was enabled by a few roaming hunters and their bloody coals. And I guess the first thing I want to point out is this cloak is pre Taken King, but now that we've had the bo- the Books of Sorrow and we know the sky is you know kind of the light and the good, the term Sky Pillar has like this whole new meaning now, where mm-hmm. You know, before it was just kind of some phrase, like, okay, he's this pillar, powerful, but now it's like, oh, he's like this pillar for the sky, for the light. You know, that's how I interpret yeah. it. It's just cool now. With lore drops, we get a little bit more meaning on these old these old pieces. Um, but I guess what I want to kind of speculate on is what do we think the vigil was? Because we don't, we don't get a lot other... Fr- and I think that cloak is one of the only references we have to it, but it was clearly legendary. Um... We're not quite sure when it happened, but I'm just wondering what what we think it was. You know, in dictionary terms, a vigil is basically staying awake to watch or to pray, um, or it could be a peaceful demonstration. So I'm just kind of wanting your guys' opinions on what we actually think this legendary vigil was and what the hunters were doing to help out. Uh, Well, here's the thing. So this is going to skip a bit. I don't think this vigil happened while Saint Fourteen was alive. Uh, I think this. I think this vigil was occurred in honor of Saint Fourteen, not uh, led by Saint Fourteen. 
so like like the uh, the peaceful demonstration definition, but more of like a a funeral kind yeah, of well, peaceful a lot of times demonstration. People will hold a vigil, like a candlelight vigil, uh, in honor right. of someone who has died. In remembrance, yeah. or yeah. So my here, my take on this is that after the disappearance of Saint Fourteen, because he was you know he was pretty well known and pretty beloved, especially by the speaker himself, uh, that they held a vigil for Saint Fourteen. And part of their ability to do that was because hunters in honor of St. 14 just decided to just straight call everything surrounding the tower so this could be held without incident. Uh, And that was my take on it when I read it, that this was very much something that was done in honor of St. 14. Yeah, that's interesting. Because I I think, you know, well, maybe he was keeping watch overnight, you know, there's a a lull in the battle and he was keeping watch overnight but even if there was a lull in the battle it would seem kind of odd that you know he'd be keeping watch more as a warning if you know the fallen decided to attack again so i'm not quite sure how the hunters would fit into that so i, I can get behind the uh the funeral theory well before before we call so it a funeral he, maybe we should discuss what happened to say yeah, <laughs> yes that's what i was gonna say so right, you know, i guess we'll call it the, the disappearance <laughs> the disappearance <laughs> so you know he's he's what most famous for twilight gap right and then uh what happens afterwards is uh is what we're referring to yeah yeah so so sometime it, we think this took place after the battle of six fronts you know we're not quite sure how near the battle of twilight gap the only thing we really know is it happened after six fronts um he went on a crusade against the fallen um and he so he, he just wasn't happy about it so even so even saint lord shacks must have gotten to saint 14 because well you know he is he is known as the ultimate defender but he kind of is going on this crusade now against the fall well, well this is interesting this is one of those interesting sort of hiccups in the timeline that we because we don't have dates and times and because we don't have that kind of information from the game you know this is one of those things where okay so we have six fronts uh we have saint 14 helping to defend the city at six fronts. Does he then go on the crusade, which later inspires Shax to do the same thing after Twilight Gap? Or does Saint-14 fight in the Battle of Twilight Gap and then is inspired to go hunt down the Fallen after watching Shax's brilliant counterattack against them? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm even wondering, if he went before, does his crusade inspire the Fallen to get sick of the city? And group up and attack. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, well, <clears throat> well, here's the th- well. Let's discuss what happened uh, because right. we know that part of the timeline. Uh, we know that this famous story about Saint Fourteen has to happen after Twilight Gap. Right, and and uh, and the reason why is because so what we're about to read from the grimoire from legend Saint Fourteen describes his encounter with the with the Kell of the House of Devils. And so we know this takes place after Twilight Gap because it was the Kell of the House of Devils who who gathered all the forces and led the charge at Twilight yeah. Gap. So we know at least this portion from this grimoire is after the fact. Um, so to read it, so this is again Legend Saint-14. It says, He could feel his light draining. He pulled all of it into one last hope. He reeled back, and bam, his helm found purchase, breaking through just above the Kell's eyes, the ether screamed from his head, and together they fell to the ground. 
And there we have the greatest headbutt in the history of all video games. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised the Titans don't have headbutt, you know, instead of shoulder charge. I am too. <laughs> yeah, it should, should definitely be a defender perk. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that's kind of amazing. Isn't, is, isn't there a dent on the helm of St. 14 too? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah and when you, and you look at that helm and it's got the kind of the crest thing in the middle, you know, that looks a bit sharp. Mm-hmm. So you know, it must have been quite the headbutt yeah. with that helmet on. Well, and then on the the Arahant Titan armor, that that story is retold, where it says the story of Saint Fourteen holds that when grappling with a great Kel, he caved in the fallen's head with one blow from his own. So to me, they're always I can only ever picture in my mind the very the end fight in Ninja Scroll between Jubei and Gemma, where Jubei <laughs> just keeps headbutting Gemma over and over and over again until he dies. <laughs> but yeah, this this made so, Saint Fourteen uh, a legend. So now, isn't there another? There's another quote in the Grimoire from uh, from that Legend of Saint Fourteen that mentions the. Uh, the the kel being dead right yeah so this this card is really full of good information um and this is where it gets interesting so after saint 14 has killed the kel of the house of devils he uh, instructs his ghost to contact the speaker and this is what we get from that exchange get me the speaker opening his channel stand by is that you my son the speaker's voice was filled with more anticipation of news than concern it is, Father. The devil Kels Sulkis is dead. The war is over. Such courage and power, the greatest ever to brace these worlds. You bring all of us peace. We will light the final flare, Devil Red. They will all know what you've done. Father, I don't think I have the energy to return. I'll rest here and come back to be honored when I return. Of course, son, but... Okay, so I'm going to stop it there. Um, so is the speaker St. Fourteen's father? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think. I, there's a lot. I've seen so much of that out out on different uh, different forums and, and Reddit posts and things like that. And I just I think it's just a term of endearment um, as far it is, as as the it is the so condescending, man. The only thing the father, the only thing the speaker is the father of is lies. Uh, <laughs> and you get that you get that but right you from the line the speaker's voice was filled more with anticipation of news than concern god he, he doesn't care uh you know he would be more filled with concern if this was his real son it's not uh the speaker is some you know the speaker's looking for an opportunity to tell the city hey the guardians did another great thing you should love us like he doesn't care about Saint Fourteen. Well, so we know that Saint Fourteen is an EXO, right? Is that, there that any too. chance that maybe this, whether when his, you know, he was wiped or reprogrammed or whatever it was, the speaker was able to implant a memory or something where maybe Saint Fourteen <laughs> thinks he is his son, and you know, maybe to maybe so the speaker has this almost sidekick super power on the side well maybe we should go back all the way to the very beginning of the podcast and i'm wrong about the speaker and the pecoris armor type one all those quotes are by the speaker about saint 14 <laughs> you know you know i had that thought but <laughs> i but but the one catch was you know the speaker we don't know he's a guardian but he does have a ghost and those quotes seem to be very much from someone who um you know who's the father was not a guardian also the speakers well okay 
I was about to say the speaker's name is not Pecoris, but that's an outright lie because we don't know. maybe it is. We don't. We don't, we don't know. know. I don't. Man, I don't. I don't trust the speaker as far as I can throw him. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, I'm a big fan of Saint Fourteen. Uh, both sort of what he inspires in. He is a saint. So. Well, true. Uh, but I think also he when you when you play Titan and the first time I remember even recently when I was. Uh, playing in year two when i got the drop that was the updated version of the helm of saint 14 i was like my defender is complete like i can go out and be a defender now like that this regardless of all the lore saint 14 i think very much inspires us as players as much as he inspired the guardians of his own time uh I think mm-hmm. he, he embodies so much of what a titan is and he enables people to play that class uh, with such sort of like passion and security about the role they're performing that like Saint 14 is an amazing character uh, I'll be shocked if we do not see him again at some point uh, because we don't know what happened to him here at the end uh, yeah I think uh, I think we'll see him again and this is why I think that vigil sort of comes here at the end you know I think the speaker in having to sort of keeping keeping up appearances uh, the speaker mm-hmm. would very much have to ha- hold some kind of vigil to honor Saint Fourteen when he didn't return. So, right, yeah. If if we finish off that the Grimmer card, you know, the speaker after hearing this news, he's not done with him yet. He the speaker says, "I have word that Osiris was seen on Mercury, the Caloris Basin. He's turned his mind back to the Vex. Mercury, too many channels to know. You activate one, you start to feed its veins. He threatens our peace." Your duty, my son, you must never forget. I cannot. The ghost killed the feed and waited for its guardian's words. Ghost, prepare my Vex arsenal and plot a course for Mercury. That old man is about to wake up hell. Um, so, you know, this kind of final order here coming from the speaker is he's about to send St. 14 after Osiris. And, and this lines up, too, because from the Mark of the Exile, um, Titan Mark from Osiris, it says that though the city won a great battle at Twilight Gap, it lost an even greater mind. So it seems that, you know, we know Osiris was appointed Vanguard commander after Six Fronts, but it seems like around the time of Twilight Gap, either before or during or after, Osiris kind of disappeared. And so this is why the speaker now, you know, he disappeared, but now the speaker gets a report of him on Mercury, so he's sending Saint-14 after him. Again, this is why the speaker... You know, and this look, this all lines up perfectly. You know, because the speaker could very much say, "Oh, we lost Saint." Four-. Like, here's your secret mission, Saint Fourteen. Go to Mercury, deal with Osiris. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. the speaker spins around in the city and goes, "We've won the we won the Battle of Twilight Gap. It's amazing. Saint Fourteen single handedly headbutt this. You know, a, a Kel. The Kel has it was into the ground, and we won. Uh, but he didn't make it back. Let's hold this vigil for him. Everybody remembers Saint Fourteen. Right. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so the, so what's, the speculation well go ahead x-ray go ahead i was gonna ask what's the whole uh prepare my vex arsenal piece of that void i think it's just void weapons knowing yeah i think it's just him <laughs> yeah. knowing he's about to head into mercury vex home world <laughs> minotaurs and their void shields all right so it's not that they're mythical <laughs> <laughs> it's the word of crota there it is yeah right, I, right. I think it's interesting to note the uh the tone that he has in that last last part of that Grimoire card too, where like I've seen a lot of people mention this card and say, you know, Saint was 
you know, he was furious. He was going to Mercury with the intentions of, uh, you know, of killing Osiris, and that was his his duty. And that might have been what his duty was. Maybe that's what the speaker had planned for him. But I feel like the, you know the way it, he says that old man is about to wake up hell. It's not he's going to wake up in hell. It's not I'm going to go kill him. It's like he's. I feel he's more concerned about what Osiris might find on Mercury, or what he might let out. You know, on Mercury with the Vex, more than him wanting to, you know, cause harm to him. Because we do know that, you know, they had some sort of respect for each other back from the uh, Battle of the Fronts. And so that's my so here's, thoughts on it. Here's here's something else, though, that, that I'm, I'm kind of, of trying to read into this conversation a little more. Uh, my, you know, I, I refer to my dad as, as, you know, my old man or the old man or whatever. And so I would think that here at the end, when he says that old man is about to wake up hell, if it was me talking about my actual dad, I wouldn't have said that old man. I would have said the old man. Again, it, it might be nothing, but but uh, well, we could. It, it seems more endearing to say, you know, the old man is about to wake up hell. I would feel like I'm talking about my my father as opposed to that old man, which you're referring just to somebody else. You know, well, again, this, I'm, it's not it's the first time X-ray. Stuff, it's not the but, first time we hear Osiris referred to as an old man, too, because uh, in the Shrines of Oryx mission, Ghost says, listen to this, from an old warlock. And maybe he was referring to him like, not old like he's been around for a long time, old like he's an old dude. Uh, which also lines up with what we talked about, sorry, with Toland. Uh, <laughs> Toland often referred to himself as an old man, and we know that Osiris and Toland were contemporaries. So there's a chance that these are sort of like two older guys, uh, both in terms of how, maybe how long they've been guardians, uh, both as warlocks who spent a lot of time studying. You get sort of like a, a professorly attitude or image of these guys. Uh, so the phrase an old man isn't necessarily uh, that askew from the the impression they might be giving off. Yeah, something just, so 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 you think he's referring to Osiris in that? Yes, episode? I think I think this is. Oh, I thought he was referring to the. Speaker no, I think because that's who he was just talking to on the on the comms, and and something yes. the speaker was about to do was was going to to wake up. Hell no, I think this, this yeah, so that's something I haven't thought of until like when you said something extra. I kind of clicked. I was like, maybe he is talking about the speaker. You maybe excuse me. <clears throat> maybe like we know Osiris, and you know. Your theory drop is, you know, he's kind of perma radiance, you know, that sounds a lot like hell. <laughs> and maybe he, he knows that the speaker's poking at things, trying to think, and he's afraid he's going to poke Osiris the wrong way and start something. I didn't think about that before. Yeah, I mean, if he's sending Saint-14 there to to do something, you know, he's that's what's... That's what the old man's doing. The, the old man, in, in regards to the speaker, he's sending Saint Fourteen to wake up Osiris and get all up in his business. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Again, I, I don't. I I don't lore. So uh, that's up to you guys. Well, we also know that the speaker and Osiris weren't always on bad terms. Right, right. So it's yeah. I mean, that's it's an interesting. It's an interesting way to read that card. Uh, I I may sort of always looked at it as. Saint fourteen talking about Osiris, you know, in all his, you know, sort of shenanigans, like maybe opening up a big old can of worms on Mercury that he wasn't ready for. Uh, but no, as as a reference to the speaker, 
you know, being like, hey, maybe, you know, th- in this case, it's Osiris. That's the beehive. Like, don't go poking that thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I never thought of it that way before until just now when the x-ray said something. I was like, oh, wait. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> you might have said something smart, X-ray. You never know. No, no, I don't. No, say a drop. No, no way. Nope. <laughs> All right, so let's let's move on here. Let's let's keep uh, let's keep trudging through a little bit. So, oh, so where are we, at? we should we should we pitch that about... to the listeners. I wonder how many people out there, if they think that Saint Fourteen is referring to the speaker, or if he's referring to Osiris in that last line. And you can read that line for yourself yeah, in the great... Legends Saint Fourteen card. That's a great question. Yeah, hit us up on uh, Twitter or our email and let us know what you think, and we will uh, we'll talk about that at the beginning of our next episode if we get enough feedback. So I'm sure it'll please. come up during the Osiris episode. All right. Yes. Yeah, so then, moving forward, we kind of this next, I guess, uh, quote. We get a, an idea of when Osiris may have left, or when he was uh, exiled or banished, whatever happens. Um, but it's a uh, a Titan mark or mark of the exile, and it says through or though the city won a great battle at Twilight Gap, it lost an even greater mine. And that's a uh, that's from the Titan mark you get from Trials of Osiris. And it's Sister Lupe. Now I'm guessing Sister Lupe is one of Osiris's disciples because those are it's br- that's what brother brother well. Vance. So I guess the boys and girls of his mm-hmm. his squad would be brothers and sisters. Yeah, that would be my assumption. That's what I think. Uh, But then there's some interesting quotes here that also follow up. Uh, And I mentioned this earlier with Saint-14's ring, but there's actually some quotes that go along with that that lend more credence to that these quotes were not about Saint-14 himself, but quite possibly about Osiris. Uh, And one of those quotes is on the helm of Saint-14 itself. Uh, And it's easy, it would be easy to to look at this and go, oh yeah, that totally describes Saint-14, but that quote, you know, he walked out into the demon light, but in the end he was brighter. And that's, again, that's paying to Saint-14, uh, not necessarily about Saint-14. And usually with the gear in the game, uh, if there's a piece of gear that refers to a particular character from the lore, they're not mentioned in that sort of speaker's reference text. It would just say, pay in you know, and it would be assumed to be about Saint-14 because it's on the helm of Saint-14. But here it's very clear that it's one person speaking to another person, not necessarily about that person themselves. Uh, but then the next one is is even better because this is referenced many, many times. <laughs> so, And that's on the Order of the Lost Saint, you know, and that is uh, his light cast no shadows. Uh, and that, I, I 100% believe that to be about Osiris. Uh, there's other parts in the grimoire, uh, and there's a great one. I had it referenced, uh, but it's saying Shax meeting with uh, warlocks whose light cast no shadows uh, in reference mm-hmm. to Osiris and what's going on there. So, again, that very much seems like an Osiris thing. Yeah, and I found that kind of interesting, too, because... Uh... You know, we've mentioned this a few times, but the theory, uh, your theory on Osiris's, you know, perma radiance. You know, if he's if he's got fire on all sides of him, there's not going to be a exactly. shadow with light on all sides. Exactly. Of him. That's pretty. That's exciting. That's pretty cool. And so I have to ask the question. You know, it seems Saint Fourteen really does seem to have this connection 
to Osiris somehow. Um, do we think Saint Fourteen is dead, or do we think he maybe became a sunbreaker when <laughs> when he went after Osiris? I think there's a, definitely a possibility. I definitely think he's with Osiris. Whether he, uh, and then we know there's a good chance that there's that band of sunbreakers, you know, on Mercury, possibly tied to Osiris. So it's definitely a, a possible that he's Saint Fourteen, the uh, the sunbreaker now, which would be scary. <laughs> as, as deadly as he was as a, as a defender, <laughs> I want to. I want What would his new helm? Yeah, I want a new helm where all all hammer throws explode and blind everybody. Oh my god! <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, it's not near OP enough. As it is. How, about, how, about, how about even looking at a Sunbreaker Titan blinds you immediately? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they hit their super, and the whole map is blind. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah uh, well okay it's interesting we're too. Uh, we're getting a little punchy. Uh, there's a there's yeah. a warlock bond called blood maturity and there's a quote on it by saint 14 it says i have found the rarest treasure a pragmatic warlock uh <laughs> and it very much seems like that he could be talking about uh osiris right there and that sort of we sort of get that sense yeah. that that is exactly what osiris is uh uh, from everything we know about him, so that could be a that could be a direct quote about him. And it's the same that we also get this. There's another quote on Mark of the Beacon, which is a Titan Mark, where it's a quote from Saint Fourteen that says, "A singer came to me saying, you protect me, and I do nothing in return.' I told him to sing, and he understood." Uh, you know, the word singer here is very leading towards Sun Singer. Uh, Again, leading to Radiance, Osiris, Fireborn, like mm-hmm. all these great possibilities here that uh, Saint-14 had nothing but respect for Osiris. So, you know, being sent to, to hunt him on Mercury by the Speaker could very quickly turn Saint-14 against the Speaker, uh, you know, and with Osiris being pragmatic and Saint-14 probably as well, uh, you know, he could have gotten there and they could have just sat down and had a cup of coffee and talked it out <laughs> and 14 could have been like, Hey, you know what? You're, you're right about this. I'm, I'm, I'm with you're you. Right. So I'd like to believe that's what happened anyway, because I don't trust the speaker at all. Have I, have I said yeah. that enough yet? <laughs> do you trust, do you trust the speaker? Yeah. It's what I was. Oh man. Yeah. Mark, the beacon, uh, Mark of the beacon is interesting because it might, it's one of the very few green items that actually has some lower tied to it. Usually they, they put the lore on like the rare, legendary exotic. Yeah, you, you don't see a lot of green items with lore. Let's let's, let's add that to lore you throw away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, man, Titans, Titans. Uh, you know, I'm I'm glad whoever whoever thought to not try to put all the classes into one episode. <laughs> thank you, and uh, because you know we're pushing an hour and a half right now and. <laughs> Well, we can do we six hours. Been, we've just been going nonstop, and I'm sure we could continue to talk about <laughs> the Titans. But uh, but let's wrap it up here. I think this is this was great uh, to get some insight to uh, to one specific class and its subclasses, and we will continue with the other ones in the future. So we will talk about the warlocks and the hunters uh, at another another time. So. Okay. 
awesome, awesome show. I enjoyed this one a ton. You're, you're all going to go just, make Titans now, right? You're going to switch I've, over to Titans. I've, I've got a. I never said I didn't have yeah, a Titan. Same, I just same. that's not my that's not my main. <laughs> not my main. I got to say though, uh, like uh, back in the days when when Prison of Elders was brand new and people were, were having a hard time and you know we're over we're under leveled for it or don't quite have the gear for it man nothing felt more secure than than loading up my defender tight and knowing that i could survive my way through that thing <laughs> yeah yeah it was always nice to have a titan it still yeah. is still is nice to have a Titan. Yeah. Around. and even now like i said my clan is is two guys i mean my clan is three people so and <laughs> uh, and two of them two they're they're both devoted titans uh and every once in a while i'll grab my titan and we'll just do team titans and we'll just plow through every single thing we try it's fantastic yep. bubble party well one of them one of the guys <laughs> i play with is a devoted striker titan uh, uh and yeah. his most favorite thing in the game right now we're talking about possibly going to trials of osiris and oh well how do we deal with the sunbreaker thing and he was like easy fist of havoc fist of havoc shuts them down in a second <laughs> it's like I, I will charge them and i will slam them <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> so all right well thanks everybody for for listening to us and if you enjoyed this episode let us know leave us some feedback uh, let us know if you liked our new ignored lore piece. Uh, we're going to try to do that every week. Pull up some old rare gear that, that mm-hmm. everyone kind of, of tosses aside or, or just is super excited to get some uh, some some mats from and, and upgrade other stuff. So let us know what you thought about that. Let us know what you thought about this show and what you want to see in the future. Any questions you'd like us to try to tackle on the air, you can reach out to us at Stories on Twitter. You can email us at destiny ghost stories at gmail.com I, I can't tell you how much we appreciate all the great feedback we've already seen and and keep getting and the more the merrier we love it we love to know what we're doing right and wrong so please 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 just let us know and if you're on itunes leave us a review there uh, like i said it helps us to be seen by more mm-hmm. more potential listeners and the more people we can get involved the better we uh we we seem to to have a, a unique kind of piece of, of the podcast area right now. And, and I think we're the only, we're one of the only lore podcasts out right now. And I'm not saying there won't be other ones that, that pop up, but you know, we've gotten so many people that have said, I know more about this game now because of listening to, to your podcast and, and explaining what's happened because the game just couldn't do it. So we hope to continue to, to make people feel that way and, and want more people to understand what they're playing and appreciate it for what's really there and not just what's kind of, of served up to you during the game. So uh, that's it for this week. Thank you again so much, and we will see you all next time. Awesome. Thanks so much. Have a good night, guys. Yep. Bye.